Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Two-Faced Fake Snakes. This is the podcast from the little-known Irish hip-hop actor lineup. I'm Professor T, and with me as always is my co-host. How are you this evening, Toomey? I am very good this evening. How are you, Mr. Professor T? I'm excellent. I'm just finishing off the end of a firsty ferret, and I've got another one ready to go. So I'm feeling pretty decent. Maybe you need to explain what, uh, what that drink is. Yes, I left that uh, ambiguous deliberately for my own amusement. It's a, it's an ale, an amber English ale, and it's called Firsty Ferret. I believe Firsty is a play on words of thirsty in an English accent. Uh, and it's delicious. It's really nice. Um, and it's actually the the two lads on the Iron Maiden podcast who recommended it. They drink a beer on every podcast and they mention which one it is. All right, so we're going to pick up uh, where we left off on the last episode. And we are going to discuss what happened after snakes and ladders and we're going to talk about a couple of other things that happened around that time but right now we're going to play you a little snippet of a song just to whet your appetite are you looking for something that you can't have do you know what you want and do you want it that bad do you hoard up memories and keep them on a shelf when you look in the mirror do you see yourself when skeletons and closets begin to grow flesh will you follow your heart or does your heart know best do you hide in doorways with trepidation do you quote things overheard in conversation do you test the water before you jump right in would you fare a lot better in someone else's skin do you think you're a genius or maybe insane does the god you pray to even know your name does he talk back and if he does do you listen if you really did your best could you get to that position that you want that you need that you've always desired to win the game of life do you have what's required we try each day to go the way we feel is right the choices that are made each day behind these eyes are hard but hey that's life from which you can't hide so we did do a gig in Eamon Dorans in 2005, but actually I recall in summer 2005 we did a gig in Scott's Dunleary. And this oh, was kind yeah. of our, our grand return to Scots uh, after our, our successful show, but absolutely atrocious performance in Scots in 2004. We did a show around June, July, sometime 2005 um, as the lineup in Scott's Dunleary. And this was after we'd recorded uh, Snakes and Ladders, and we had all the Snakes and Ladders songs to play for the very first time at a live gig. Yeah, and we weren't sharing the stage with anybody else. It was just a lineup. There were no support acts, but what we did do was we brought Bernie Reeves out uh, to do stand-up comedy, and we actually had a little bit planned at the start. Um, so I think we had been drinking like a nagging down on the pier uh, before this, but uh, the plan was for you to stay down on the pier and me to come up to the stage dressed as Bernie Reeves and announce to the audience that I couldn't find Toomey. I was like, I can't find Toomey. I don't know where he is, but I'm here to do stand-up comedy. And then I did like about 10, 10 or 12 minutes of stand-up comedy, which I'd written in advance, and I did as Bernie Reeves, and it went down unbelievably well. I and wish then, I was there for that. Yeah, I was waiting I know. Yeah, and then by this time, yeah, you'd made your way up to Scott. You're waiting outside and you're waiting for the call. And I rang you live on stage, and then I had to run off the stage as Bernie Reeves. Then we went and changed quickly, and we came back on stage as the lineup in our dressing gowns, and we had entrance music so, and all of that. So, so it was a the- theatrical entrance. It was yeah. The, the the point of it was that oh, Toomey's missing, and then oh no, here he is. And then I came on stage and we started. But let's just pause on that for a moment. Ten to twelve minutes stand-up comedy as Bernie Reeves. It. <laughs> in character a full written out stand up yeah. comedy gig I remember 
I had like four bits and I can't really remember the other three, but I remember one of them and I've since heard multiple other stand-up comedians use this as, as a piece. One of my bits was about uh, standing at the urinal and not being able to piss when there was people beside you. And I think uh, so many people I've spoken to in my life can relate to that. So that was just using my own kind of experiences, but doing it in a Scottish accent, which made, which made it funnier. In character, yeah, which is brilliant. Um, and I suppose the other thing just I want to note about that gig is like that Dennis helped us with all the flyers and the promotion. He called it the lineup show, put posters around Dunleary. And yeah, we really, I think we went on for quite a lot. We performed for an over an hour because we had the ca- Cameras Action Doom material and we just finished Snakes and Ladders, the second album. By the time we got to Eamon Doran's, uh, we had quite a large following and this was to do with the blazeskate.com website, which we've mentioned before. But uh, so it was a couple of lads in our year who set up this website, uh, our year from secondary school, who set up this website when we got into college. And this predated YouTube, this predated Facebook. Uh, This was uh, a website which incorporated a forum for people to chat. And then also there was a section where people posted up sketch comedy videos. And that was mainly, when I say people, that was mainly us and our friends who posted up these sketch comedy videos. And in those videos, we had the characters like Bernie Reeves and we had uh, the Delfano and uh, other characters we came up with along the way. Yeah. Um, so we had people like kind of familiar with our humor on that. And then we had for the Amos Dorans gig, we had people from our college colleges and we were kind of both settled into our different colleges at this stage. And so we were able to bring loads of people to Eamon Dorans that night. Plus, we were still in contact with the secondary school friends. Um, so and there was other bands on this Eamon Dorans night. There was three or four other bands playing. So there was a big crowd there. There must have been over 100 people there. Was there? Is that yeah, my so, over-exaggerating? Yeah, so just to, to go over it again, there, there was Shro who were playing. They were headlining. There was us who were second. Uh, I think Ashling Larkin did a bit, if I remember correctly. did a solo singing part. Uh, and then there was uh, Vinyl Moon uh, who played a set as well. And there was uh, some young, young bands that were like 17 or something. Was They're it, underage. Was it Albino Rhino or was that yeah, in the Noggin Inn? No, I, think that like was in, I think that was in the Noggin Inn gig later on. Yeah, but there, I think there was one other band as well. I think you're right, yeah. They were I trying think, to squeeze onto the card. Yeah, and I think there was it was a five-act show. And I, as far as I remember, we were the only act who got paid because we insisted on it. And during my Delfano skit, my, my part was to, to introduce the, the underage band. And I refer to them being underage in my comedy skit, an <laughs> Italian accent. They are hey. under 18. <laughs> yeah, these guys, they're under 18. Yes, Basically, I remember that fucking hell. The Delfano character was just an Italian accent. Yes. <laughs> these guys. Please welcome 18. them. They are under 18. <laughs> yes, I remember that already. And the other thing about that band is I think their parents were there. <laughs> But I remember negotiating with Wrigley and Hederman uh, because they were charging seven euro in for the night, and there were about this is the Celtic Tiger days where you could charge seven instead of five. I know, yeah, exactly, yeah. And like we we estimated there was going to be over a hundred people at it, and I think on the night they got hundred and ten on the door. But prior to this, we had met up with them and we were like trying to negotiate our fee, and they quite generously had offered us. 100 each and 70 for Dennis. So they were giving us, like, out of their potential 700 or so pot, they were giving us 270. And I remember we both argued with them, saying that we deserve more. <laughs> more than 100 each and 70 for Dennis. Well, in fairness, we, out of that 110, I would say we brought a good 50, a healthy 50. 
I'd say even more than that to be honest I'd say we've brought about 70 people um, but yeah if you, if you multiply that by 7 that's if it's 70 people that's 490 euro so yeah I think we deserve it <laughs> yeah anyway we did we ended up agreeing on 100 but I just but I just want to say about the the parents were giving out because their band was on there were so many people trying to get onto the the set onto the the, what, the card and I remember the parents giving out to Brian Wrigley and Mark Ederman who organised it for having their children <laughs> on too early in the night they were on at like <laughs> half seven up. or something well in fairness like there were so many acts that uh, we had to put people on at that time because the headline acts, which was us and Shro, and realistically Shro had like far fewer people in attendance than we did. So the two of us, we needed to be on at like 10, 11, because there were so many acts that that's how long it took to get to that point. Like, yeah. Yeah. So th- they had to be on that early. Yeah. Okay. I know. I do remember. So I did a bit of stand up comedy as Bernie Reeves at this one as well. And after having done Bernie Reeves, uh, in For my 10 eyes, to 12 minutes, yeah, yeah, 10 to 12. In my eyes, so successfully in Scots, I didn't bother to prepare any material this time around. I thought I'd just go off the cuff uh, and and freestyle stand up comedy. And I really I put it into the back of my mind. I was like, oh, I'll be grand, I'll go up there and I'll just. And tell I, I also thought it would be grand as well because the, as you said, the previous one had went down so well, and we thought that maybe you could just buzz off the character of Bernie Reeves, the Scottish man in a wig. Yes. Character. I, I thought zany, I, zany things. I thought I could as well. And I do remember though, I had like maybe one or two bullet points, but that was it. I didn't really prepare any routines or material. And I went up there originally and my first words out of my mouth were, all right, you fucking cunts. And the, the people up the very front row of uh, Eamon Doran's were all of the band's uh, parents. So they were sitting <laughs> at tables and they had no idea who Bernie Reeves was or who I was. And I went up there and I called them all fucking cunts. Uh, and that was my opening bit. And I, lo- I saw the look of disgust on their faces in the whites of their eyes. And I realized that it was a lead balloon after that point and that it was going to go down terribly. Uh, I couldn't hear anyone laughing at anything I said. And then I... St- Go on, sorry. No, go on, finish the point. And, then and I stalled and stumbled over my whatever length of time it was. And then, yeah, I eventually got to the end of the routine. But go on, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I know you're putting that down to, to sort of your performance and input into it. But I really think you were on to a loser from the start. Because when you started, basically people were down at their different tables having drinks and chatting. Yes, and I remember when, that. And when you started going into the comedy, a lot of them didn't stop. So they kept chatting. So half the people were listening and half the people were just chatting to each other. And there was one point you said about three minutes in, you said, would everybody come up, take two steps forward up to the stage or something like that? (laughs) And then nobody did it. Yeah, I I remember everyone chatting amongst themselves, actually, now that you bring it up. And it was really frustrating because I was like, this is the start of the show, like fuck you yeah. this, this is what yeah. you're here for so so i really don't think it was down to your performance you could have said the best comedy performance of all time and i, d- I just don't think people were listening do you know why i think this actually as well is because i had a similar experience of seeing this happen to somebody um i was at a college gig and it was in like d2 or some sort of nightclub but there was a comedy act on and dave mcsavage was the comedian oh yeah and this was a, a trinity college night out and he got on and he was a like a fairly he wasn't as popular as he, as he was in subsequent years but he was a fairly like well-known irish comedian and he had his guitar up there 
And he went on and did his act. And after a few minutes, he just realized that nobody was listening. And he had the guitar. He was doing everything. He was trying the jokes. But like the, he wasn't getting laughter after any of the jokes because no, everybody was just talking amongst themselves. So people didn't stop. And I think that that's what happened with you that night. The, the people didn't. With a comedy gig, you have to be silent and pay attention. And if you're not sort of ready for that in your night out, you, you just sort of keep going with the chats and stuff that so that that's what i think happened to you i you actually told me this story before but i i thought you were going to tell me the end of the story oh where... yeah well will i tell you the end <laughs> yeah go on <laughs> this is just the the piece that makes me look good <laughs> the, the maybe it was after part. seeing it happen to you that dave mcsavage who i liked as a comedian and i still like as a comedian um he was just he was he was saying on stage, look, nobody's listening to me. I'm doing this for free as a favor to one of the organizers of this night for fuck's sake. He was like sort of giving out to the crowd and then he was about to get off stage and there was sort of like a big space between him and where everyone else was standing. Everyone was standing around tables and stuff and there was his stage and there was a big gap. So I was like, God, I, I, I want to show him some support. So I went up to the front of the the sort of dance floor area and I put my my fist in the air and I shouted yeah and it was really weird at that moment everybody stopped talking and they went in right behind me and they came they pushed right up to the stage and they all cheered and they stopped talking and then they listened to David McSavage so you was created the a movement thing. and saved the night I, st- I started a movement and <laughs> saved the night not meaning to really I, I just kind of wanted to get up there and show him that I was supporting him because I felt for him. And he actually, he brought me up on stage then and he made some sort of joke. Oh, this guy's single or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I just got off stage. But he actually t- thanked me after the gig as well. He said, thanks so much. You saved the gig. Very good. Um, okay. Unfortunately, kind of though, on this night, you couldn't save the night because you were due to come up as a character, Delfano, <laughs> after the end of my set. And the plan was that we were going to kill off Bernie Reeves on stage. But the joke of it all was that I'd already died on stage prior to the pantomime killing uh, with my terrible comedy. Um, so you can't kill yes. someone who was already dead. Exactly, yes. But uh, So, yeah, so what we had was a... a, a a planned piece where you were going to come up as Delfano and we had like a mock knife or a toy knife and you had fake blood concealed within your fist and you're going to try and do a stabbing motion with the knife and while the cap on the fake blood was open squeeze the blood at the same time as stabbing me and I was going to fall on stage and die um but that didn't that didn't really go to plan at all I think we did some version of that but I don't think I don't think most people were paying attention. Well, firstly, no, no one was paying attention. <laughs> Secondly, nobody was invested in the characters really, except in our own minds. And thirdly, I remember specifically tripping up over loads of wires that were on the stage <laughs> attached to the microphones and amps and not being able to find my footing. So I wasn't even able to stage a fall because I lost my actual footing and ended up tripping up all over the place. <laughs> and this was a packed card. So like the organizers were just waiting for the next band to come on. Yeah, I, we were making <laughs> a show. Or my brother-in-law likes to remind me of that night still to this day, even though it was uh, good 13 years ago now at this point. Is that your brother-in-law who was at the stag? Ado, yeah. Ado, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he remembers that vividly. I think it's etched in his mind uh, in a kind of like a mental scar type of way rather than a fond memory. Yeah, so those are the skits. Um, but, okay, the skits didn't go down so well. But I think the performance we did was the exact opposite. I think that was our best performance we ever gave. Would you agree? I don't know. I kind of think like 
every performance is the best performance we ever gave. So <laughs> I don't but, want to be saying that about every single gig we've done. This but, is uh, the best. Well, Sorry, that was a bit. Uh, some of the things I do remember are uh, there was a little backstage part that was covered in graffiti and absolutely stank of bo and i remember sitting in there with the various different acts that were performing uh luke lang and luke byrne and the lads from vinyl moon and various other people throughout the night and i remember drinking cans backstage and i remember really feeling like a band or an act that was like backstage at a gig and about to go up on stage and all this stuff i remember really feeling like that buzz and it was so it's just such a good memory in my mind. It was a mixture of really nervousness and excitement at the same time. Mm. And I remember um, at one point popping my head out from that backstage area um, when one of the other acts was on stage and one of the girls from my college course was up front waiting for us to go on and she saw me popping my head out from backstage and we had been hiding ourselves off. We, we had cut ourselves off from the group. We hadn't been socializing among the crowd we deliberately want we deliberately did that we wanted to to separate the performance performers from the the peasants in the the audience yeah but yeah no it was like i think it was a good approach it's like i don't know you lose a bit of your stage presence if you're going and chatting with people and you're like 20 seconds later you're trying to do a performance for them right in front of them i think a piece of it is lost in that um you you don't get actors on a stage play wandering about at the bar beforehand and then just walking up, like climbing up onto the stage in front of the fucking audience and starting to act like it's just so. Yeah, I think you should keep a, a bit of a distance sometimes between yourself and the, the audience. But uh, yeah, I remember popping my head around the curtain, so to speak, and this girl getting really excited. I seen like I saw you as in like I, I know where you are ah as in like getting really excited that the, we were about to come on and I remember that gave me a particular buzz like going this is going to be fucking brilliant you could just tell there was anticipation was in the air and especially when we came on from behind the stage we were introduced and the the buzz from the crowd the, the ovation we got going on stage we felt like superstars going on stage and we had our t-shirts on our lineup t-shirts Dennis was there looking cool in the his DJ gear and we belted out I think it was who the fuck are you and, and line up the line up and they were they were hanging on every word they were joining in they had their hands up in the air they were clapping along that was the, the, the moment that I actually felt like actually we might be we might make it as rappers um, yeah but like that that gig just, I just want to talk about it a little bit more like I remember we were doing a song uh, Drink Feck Arse Girls and we had this big, I think it was a crystal bottle. And we filled it up with water, actually. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And it was Pretending a, to drink vodka. Yeah, they thought it was vodka. So we all like sort of downed half of the, the bottle of crystal. And the crowd was going mad even at that bit. Yeah. <laughs> so everything we did, everything we touched turned to gold. And it was brilliant. Um, and I later after the gig, I stumbled outside and there was people randomly rap addling outside. These two, <laughs> these two lads outside on the street named Dorns. I, I can almost picture that. I don't know if I was with you at the time, but whether it's a false memory I created afterwards or whether I was actually there, I can not, almost picture that scene. I, I think there was a few people floating around. They were just outside and I ended up getting into a rap battle. <laughs> <laughs> just I was I was going out to the, the car or something to leave equipment out there or something like that or... And I just stumbled into it and I went on and I thought I'd beat, beat them. And I did. I kind of held my own for about five or ten minutes. But then they kept going on and then 
they intimidated me <laughs> and probably beat me in the rap battle, which was a good <laughs> yeah. Thing. Oh well. But it still spoke to that feeling of being on stage doing a gig that went down in my eyes amazingly well and then to be stumbling outside getting into a rap battle in my head I was like I'm now a rapper I'm a famous rapper this is my lifestyle now I get into rap battles on the street (laughs) we just got paid 100 euro for doing a gig like I mean the number of people who I've spoken to who were in bands at that level who never got paid it a dime for doing anything like we we were always quite entrepreneurial with our um performances like we either organized them ourselves and got paid or we made sure if somebody else was putting us on that they were paying us because fuck that like you're not going to do it for free but yeah back then walking out onto the street and doing a rap battle that was not the norm for a, a short period of time but it was the norm but it was an adre- a huge adrenaline rush i think oh, absolutely a huge sure. bu- buzz even even things since then or or before then like after I get off the stage, I can rarely remember what's just happened. Like it's 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 usually a blur, and, and like a lot of the times, it's a very like I'm glad that it's happened, and I know it went well, and I know I enjoyed it. But what actually took place might as well have not taken place because I can't remember a thing. It's such a rush. Yeah, and you're like, how did I accurately uh, recite verses and choruses and know when to come in? Because you're like. At that point, just directly afterwards, you can't remember having done any of that. Yeah, you know you did it, but you don't know how you did it because you don't appear to have any of your faculties afterwards, but you know you just did it. <laughs> you know you have a sense of doing it. It's like it's that you're in perpetual motion or something. Everything flows perfectly. It's a very strange feeling. wanted to sort of build on from that but i suppose we had the album recorded we'd done this big gig and then we were looking for the next step which ultimately didn't really come but before we sort of get to that sort of the downfall i just want to mention a couple of things that happened during that period as well if that's okay um and one of them was just to do with me and sir scratch Oh yeah, yeah, of course. So, so this one time I just met him. We were in HMV looking at music, um, and then Sir Scratch was there. So, Sir, Sir Scratch, who we've mentioned before, was is a Portuguese rapper who's gone on to be famous and successful in Portugal. And we were just hanging around, and he said, "Well, why don't we go up to to Dennis's uh, flat and make a song?" And I was like, "All right." <laughs> so I was like really excited to go up there with with Sir Scratch and and I was intimidated as well because I saw him as a, like an amazing rapper who um he was really charismatic and confident and and rapped in a completely He was the bee's way. knees. What? He was the bee's knees. He was the bee's knees. He was everything I wanted to be. And he could sing as well. He could sing and rap. I remember songs of his early songs that we would have been shown had a good chorus and uh excellent like verbal skills, excellent uh, flow and it was really really good yeah it was multi- all rounder yeah, yeah. an all rounder and he just had this natural charisma and fucking hell it oozed out of him Jesus I've never seen somebody so confident and also friendly and in no way ever tried to put you down like he was a really nice affable person but he was supremely confident but also very friendly it was he was a, he was a nice bloke in general yeah confident in a natural way 
Like, yeah. co- he was like 50 million times more confident than you, but could also put you at ease in his presence. And that's a rare skill. But like, he went up and I was excited. I was like a, a happy dog. <laughs> the t- yeah. tail wagon. I'm going to song with her scratch. So we got this beat and we sat down and we was like, right, we're doing a song. And I was just like, write about anything. And I remember he just, he wrote, a, he wrote his verse in about five minutes. <laughs> and he was just like on the spot. He had this, um, he had this Sun newspaper in front of him and written on the front page was daily sales. And then it was like Sun, the Sun newspaper is the number one selling newspaper in Ireland. Daily sales, Dublin Sun, number one newspaper. I remember that song <laughs> daily so well. Sales, yeah. Sun's number one newspaper all over Easons and the reasons might be 60% of people are like me so he's just started off with this like off the top rap so 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 here's me like but also I was feeling pressure because he wrote this thing on the spot he was ready to record it and he was like okay will you write yours there and I had to like write it really really quickly I was under pressure uh, like you're writing it on the bus yeah almost. <laughs> on the bus and I actually came up with something half decent I think and and uh I but I didn't have enough material to finish off like a normal 16 bar 40 second verse. So I had written lyrics, but it was only for like 20 seconds. So as I was writing it, as as I recorded it, um, I ran out of lyrics and I I didn't want to be like, oh, no, I need to go back and write this again. So I started freestyling. I started, started, I got on this buzz and I think this was after the Eamon Dorans gig and I felt like a rapper at this time. So I, I, I lost my lyrics. I had to, I put them away and I started freestyling for, for the final 20 or 30 seconds and I nailed the freestyle and, <laughs> and as, what a yeah, feeling in front of Sarah Scratch and Dennis, it was the best feeling and, uh, he started clapping and you can hear it on the recording there. Like as I'm finishing up, yeah. he's clapping. And he does it like a yeah, woo as well as he did. And he actually well. came over. He looked at yeah. the page I had in front of me and he could see that the lyrics weren't written on the page. And he was like, whoa, this is amazing. But of course, there was a twist in it and that fucking Dennis botched the recording. So if you listen to that song now, ah. all of the freestyle bit is, is cut off and it's just Sir Scratch asking Dennis, did you did you mess up the recording? This is not recording. Can you, you can hear his woo though, can't you? Can you, you can hear him going you woo. You can hear him going you? woo and the clapping at the end. But what I really miss is that freestyle bit. There's like 10 second gap where I just, ah. it, it cuts off. And you'll hear it now in this clip in a sec. But uh, Right, because I, I had a memory of him going woo and clapping at the end. All right, yeah, but I didn't realize that the, yeah, I haven't listened to that in, in a while actually. Yeah, we, okay, we'll play it now. We're going to play the whole thing here. Hold on a sec. Yep. That's what's up. Dublin's finest, short plan, the lineup, A plus, yep, uh, daily sales, sun's number one, newspaper all over easing, and the reason might be, 60% of people are like me, my god is frightening, all this gossip and hearsay, like we say in Portugal, for this, now the craze went beyond borders, and look at this, the course has collided, as if we clone a bunch of Jay-Z's and Mike Shinoda's I would like y'all to know this I'm not a gangster, I'm more like what Obi is Or Royce is, my voice is raw and real Line up a short plan, oh 
phases will use move out of my way you blocking my views you gaze use cubase or pro tools lay some vocals and let's see who's getting all the booze oh oh man i don't mean drink wait let me think whom i'm not that no i'm not that mean i mean i'm just dublin's finest search scratch it's my dynasty dynasty i'm an mc you fakes are a minus me there's any justice in the world Okay. <laughs> Motherfuckers! Yeah, alright. That's a wrap! Okay. Whoop. Hey, I see a lot of scheming these days, every day, every way I look, advantages that are took by crooks with CZ, look, you read the book, I read between the lines, I spit it to your eyes, a man in disguise, yes, I'm wise like Solomon, you're following each other, I follow my heart, some people can't swallow this shit, some say it's art from the start, I've always been myself, I gotta need your help, cause I need to be the best, second place is the second two. Late, this is fate, I levitate, I escalate heavenly gates And if you're not impressed, I just say I'm the best Squeeze you like tight, like a double deep breast Inside a tight vest, I stress and tests On the quest, like a tribe called untouchable, unstoppable I got no rivals, now listen to the spitting, written, fitting, hitting rhymes A step in line, everybody knows I got more flows than Lisa Street I can't hear nothing man Painting <laughs> like diamonds, carnal to me, cool and groovy like a blue movie and off the top of the dome, it's like fucking chrome wheels When I'm rolling with the punches like crunches Everybody knows, eat your shit, this is like lunches Yeah, short clan line up Dublin's greatest, Dublin's finest, that's a wrap Okay, so yeah, there you have it, yeah That was actually, uh, still, even with that, it's still an excellent track um, That was something I, I listened to quite a lot back in the day Uh even at that point, I had all these songs on a mini disc, and I do have a mini disc at home, the actual disc, which is essentially an archive of everything we've ever recorded, uh, and that was one of them. I used to like to listen to that, and I used to like to listen to your solo collaboration with Ian White because I, those songs were always uh, just they were they were anomalies in the discography of the lineup if you will uh in that it was just you rapping with somebody else and it wasn't me and it wasn't like me having to write a verse to something you wrote or it wasn't uh us having to try and come up with one verse each and of course it was they were just anomalies they were just you rapping with sir scratcher yeah exactly so i actually used to always like listen to those songs um so yeah that was that was one of those ones that was, was quite good and there would there would be more of those to come actually over the years yeah as well. and we might come to that in a sec but i suppose the other story I'd like to tell now is the, the Big Steel story. Is that is that okay? Because this was around this time as well. Because I just want to capture how I felt at this time. That I could be a rapper. Excellent. How we yes. felt. <laughs> we should definitely tell the Big Steel story. And uh, that was in... Was that in the village on Wexford Street that that took place? Yeah, I think it was. It was a, it was a late night gig. Um, so just so people know so big steel was a moderately successful rapper in the west coast of america in the mid noughties um to be honest i hadn't heard of him but i knew he had sold like hundreds of thousands of records and he had quite a, a following in the west coast um and he had heard our song online on the blazes case website theblazeskate.com he'd heard our song called traveling true rhyme Yes, I remember this now. Yeah, he heard Travelling Through Rhyme and he really liked he it. He really liked it. He said he listened to it every day. He later said that to me. And what did he call it? He called it a... I listen to that every day, man. <laughs> yeah. He had some term for it. <laughs> yeah, so... I can't remember what it was. It was... I don't know. It's <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I listened to that. It was like a term you'd use for a joint. But I it was like to that a joint song. Every day, man. 
I can't remember. It doesn't matter anyway. But uh, yeah, he heard our song on blazeskate.com and we were chatting to him via the Blazeskate website and he was doing a gig over in Dublin and we had arranged that we would go to the gig and we'd meet up and afterwards we would collaborate on a song together. So that was all arranged on the internet just from brief chats. He was like, yeah, man, let's do a song. Yeah, I mean, as you do. As you do, a big, successful, big black rapper from the West Coast, uh, LA, I think he was from. Um, Late 1970s, early 1980s. (laughs) Yeah, that's when he was probably born. Uh, But yeah, so he came along, he did his gig, and I went there with Dennis and Sir Scratch. You weren't there for some reason. I think you had a work night out. I had a work or college night out, and I, I was going to join up with you afterwards but yeah you did the groundwork as usual with the new people yeah so sir scratch and dennis wanted to get in with big steel as well so it was all set up for me to go over and what's the word connect with big steel and lounge with him and all kind of and be cool around him so i dressed up in my hip-hop attire paddy cap uh, zip up cardigan um sweater from gap and I met Big Steel at, at about three o'clock in the morning after his gig in the village. And I went over to talk to him. And so I said to him, hi, Big Steel. Yeah, I'm, I am I don't know what I said to him. I was like, oh, Connell Toomey uh, from, from the lineup. Oh. And he goes, yeah, yeah, how's it going, man? And then I said, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, how you enjoyed the gig there? And he was like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. yeah. And I realized I couldn't understand him. And I started saying, uh, so we might do a collaboration in the next few days. And then he goes, (laughs) (laughs) at some point I joined you because I remember being there with Big Steel. But I think I think you'd been talking to him for a few minutes and then I joined uh, because you were already. Yeah, I think you'd already ingratiated yourself with Mr. Steel by the time (laughs) I met up with you. I was already yes. struggling after those. Yeah, moments. yeah. But I, I don't remember being there for. He's <laughs> And there was this one point where he asked me a question and I couldn't understand what he was saying. And he knew that I couldn't understand. So I just smiled at him. And then he smiled oh, back. Oh, God. And then that's... we both realized that this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I was too embarrassed. That's, that's to social suicide. The pretending you've heard what the person has said and smiling and both of you are in the know that neither of you are communicating. <laughs> yeah, um, it was mad, mad stuff. I knew we, I knew that it had a nosedive at that stage. And funnily enough, there was another uh, mildly famous rapper at, the, at that gig. I can't, I don't know if I told you about this or I probably did at the time called Jeru the Damager. And he was. No, I've never heard this before. Have you not? He, no. he happened to be at the, the Big Steel gig and um, yeah, he had a few underground songs. I think you'd like them actually if you if you check them up. Um, some right. classical underground hip hop, and he, I actually tried to get a collaboration going with him as well. <laughs> I've literally never heard this story before in my life. Maybe no. I was too embarrassed. You're I think this saving is, this one up. So I went over to him and I thought, oh, well, I'm on the roll here. I know Big Steel, so I'm going to go and talk to Jeru the Damager. So I went yeah. over to him and I obviously was like, uh, do you want to do a, a, a recording with us? We're, we're rappers from Ireland and, and here's my CD. And he was like, uh, yeah, yeah, give me your number, man. Just just write it down there. And I wrote down the number and I gave it to him on a piece of paper. And 
obviously he just wanted to get rid of me that was just like nice trick by Jerome yeah. fair play <laughs> write down your number <laughs> I could learn a thing or two from him because I've had issues with that in the recent yeah, past yeah but our good friend so we won't mention his name but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah basically the the end of that night I couldn't communicate with Big Steel and that was the end of a possible collaboration but I think it just showed what a kind of role we were on and the situations we were getting ourselves into getting to know these rappers and on on the verge of collaboration with with them the verge <laughs> we were on the verge all right on some sort of <laughs> never verge. quite made it over that verge um yes okay so all right so we've gone through the dennis era we've done the giga name endurance we've recorded snakes and ladders we've attempted to collaborate with big steel to know attempted to communicate with him <laughs> To no avail. <laughs> Tempted to speak to another human, to no avail, <laughs> who also had English as his first, as his first language, but to no avail. And uh, then uh, we didn't really do too much. We did do a gig. We did a gig in the Noggin Inn in 2006. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So just to lead people up to that uh, point, uh, a number of our friends had jobs in Power City uh, electrical uh, store in the local area um, and I got a job in Power City in around October 2005 and with that came a new social group so naturally after a period of time I played the rap card to shortcut myself to popularity and uh, after playing the rap card people were quite interested in you know anything to do with the lineup and um, I used to work in customer service and there used to be a CD player there that we could play uh, whatever music we wanted to on so I used to bring in CDs of whatever I was listening to at the time but like once or twice I brought in the lineup CD and uh, people would be walking by and listening like staff members walking by and going oh what's that I'd be like oh that's us uh, they were lineup and all and then uh, I gave out the CD to a few people in the shop like who I worked with and then some of the girls like uh, and their friends got really into it and like oh, I remember one of the girls uh her friend used to come up to me and go, the lineup, chippa chapa cha, the lineup. <laughs> like quoting lines from the song and singing. So them. you were a celeb within that. The celeb, yeah, yeah. By design. <laughs> and then um I remember one of the lads one day actually put the C D on on the PA system. So not just the C D player or customer service, but the actual PA system that played music throughout the entire shop. So it was a it was a mad period of time where like that was completely acceptable to do. And like as you know yourself on that album, like every second word is like a swear word so it was surreal and kind of uncomfortable situation to be in uh, somebody playing that over this shop pa system but um <laughs> but it made you feel like a real um band or group or success so luckily at that time i was able to draw on my popularity in Paris city having played the rap card uh, successfully and we were able to get a pretty decent crowd again uh, in Paris City, or sorry, in Sally Noggin, for our only gig in 2006. And in fact, that was our last gig for nine years. What the fuck? That was our last ever live performance for nine years. Uh, because the next time we played was in 2015 in Jeez. Foley's in Marion Row. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Nine years. Yeah. Wow, I didn't. And I, didn't. I remember, I remember saying at the time. This is skipping ahead now, but uh, ah, sure, it doesn't matter at this point. I remember saying on stage at the time, "This is our last ever gig," and I was only saying it to take the piss. And I was standing up on the amps, and I was standing up on the bins and everything, and uh, going complete rock star, uh, like just taking the piss. 
And um, I remember one of the lads from the crowd, just one of the locals that night, came up to me afterwards. He's like, lads, why is it your last ever gig? You are brilliant. And I think I said to him, I was only joking. I was only just playing up to the crowd. I was only taking the piss. But it nearly was our last ever gig. Yeah. And maybe subconsciously it had gone into the back of our minds. And that we were Possibly, joking about yeah. it. Maybe it was, yeah. Probably but not. Yeah, but that, <laughs> that I, I remember that gig going down quite well as well. And... Uh, we we were doing all sorts of mad shit like standing up on the amps and uh, just going completely mental um and i remember i remember like i was absolutely pissed as well like i remember we got like a chinese and we were sitting in my house with dennis eating food uh beforehand uh for some reason we were in my house oh, yeah. in watson's like and then uh, we made our way into the noggin inn somebody was driving like i can't even I don't know who drove us in. Somebody drove us in anyway. Maybe my dad drove I us in. I think it was. Or your mum. I think it was your mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were just sitting around. And uh, like at some point, I must have had a nagging or something. Because I remember being on stage. And I was like, I never knew everybody in the noggin in were such chicken shits. <laughs> I was like, why won't you come up to the front? <laughs> I'm saying this to a, like, uh, not exactly a captive audience, just people who are randomly in the noggin in on a Saturday night, a pub that I wouldn't even really normally dare drink in, let alone berate the clientele of. But, uh, yeah, but uh, anyway, it, it went fine. We, we didn't. We didn't really get harmed, although you did harm somebody inadvertently <laughs> towards the end of the gig. Towards the end, we were throwing out free CDs into the audience, and I, I flicked it out into the audience, and it hit this girl in the eye, <laughs> and it hurt her. <laughs> it was one of those, I think it was one of those aforementioned CDs in plastic cases um, that we were probably trying to get yeah. rid of. <laughs> that Dennis had created, yeah. Um, with the... With the out of sequence uh, tracks so if you are the person from the noggin in who got hit in the eye we'd like to apologize that the sequencing of the tracks was not what we wanted exactly and that's why i flicked it out so carelessly into the crowd and i got later started on in the jacks afterwards but i got out of there and it was okay yeah i remember vaguely the, getting the started boyfriend on somebody, of, uh, of the girl who'd been hit in the eye i think she was hurt <laughs> um she probably I was, was generally concerned was her eye yeah but she was okay all right so that, that kind of brings us towards the end of the snakes and ladders era um so we'd recorded an album we'd done a couple of gigs um and then we're kind of pretty much leading into a bit of a, a fallow period but i think that brings it to a nice natural close for episode number eight yeah i think so i reckon um in episode nine we will touch on the years that followed um what our social lives were like at the time because our, our social lives had become quite different uh, and then the random kind of songs we had done with Dennis uh, here and there but then a kind of light at the end of the tunnel we went and we met a new producer uh, and kind of things started to change for us after that so I'll leave it on that cliffhanger so we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode and we will see you next time uh, au revoir uh, au revoir uh, au revoir uh, au revoir
Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir.